Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Not Brad, come on now, it's dinner time. Michael, I'm sorry, Brady invited him over for dinner. Two months they've lived there. I haven't said one word to him. Thank you, neighbor. For what? For having a 10-year-old next door. I already told me it was a mall. If it wasn't, why would you lie? Geez, I didn't know you taught a course in terrorism, Michael. That's a pretty frightening subject. Seems they got one everywhere. Why would someone do that? You do it to hide the person you were. Michael! <laughs> you locked yourself out. There is a blueprint in his house that he does not want me to see. You've been a guest in my house. Something going on over there. Are you listening Your to me? Your neighbor is a terrorist. It has been blowing up buildings. Brooke, you gonna tell your kid everything you did when you were 16, Michael? You know, in his spare time, you know, he, he pays the mortgage and takes his kid Brooke, to camp and Brooke, takes his daughter's that ballet house class. Is not normal. That house Brooke. is normal, Michael. Because of you, my son is alive. I would like very much to return the favor. Because <laughs> if you got nothing, Michael, if this is all you got, then you know what you need to stop teaching that class because it's getting inside your head. We're having a party. You're more than welcome to stay. The investigation didn't satisfy me. What the hell have you done with my son? This is war, Michael. In war, children die. What the FBI this time? Okay, Arlington one. Road. So, the movie written by Erin Kruger, as we teased last episode. It's a horrible bit of trivia. I just, um, what did you mention? Scream Three? Is he responsible for that that part of that uh, franchise? I don't, I don't know anything else about this guy. I remember he was a hot commodity in the late '90s, but. Um, I don't know what he's been up to lately. So he was a hot commodity in the 1990s, and it was Arlington Road that really did that. And in particular, this this twist ending that everyone talked about, which we won't divulge just yet, uh, but this will be a spoiler-laden, uh, you know, uh, spoiler-heavy 
episode once we get to that point. But I think with that, he did kind of make a name for himself. And I, and I believe that's the reason why Bob and Harvey Weinstein, uh, when they needed another writer for the, for the third scream, they went to Aaron Kruger. Uh, and, and he gets a lot of shit for that. But, you know, I think he actually did a pretty commendable job. Um, but after that, it's uh, Ranger Games that he does for the same company. And it's uh, John Frankenheimer's last movie uh, released theatrically. And that a kind of bombs. guilty pleasure. It's I'm a guilty pleasure, but it also that, I would say that would be the, where you start to see the cracks in the foundation of, mm. <laughs> uh, the of ring? this guy. I didn't know he was involved yeah, the, ring, the Ring the franchise. Ring, which was okay. a big hit. Uh, and uh, I, I, I've never been a huge fan of it, but it, w- it was certainly like a big hit. The Ring series, but I do like the Skeleton Key. I didn't know that he wrote that. I'm just looking at his uh, his credits here on IMDb, and I, I like that one. Uh, I'd say he probably gets a lot more shit for his involvement with Michael Bay's uh, Transformers mm-hmm. series. It appears. Okay. And, and so he really he didn't live up to his potential. Is is you know the long and short of it is that he started out as this very interesting. Uh, writer who who could write a lot of interesting and unexpected twists that made sense for people and then ultimately became uh, I hate to use this word because I really think it's overused but he came kind of he became kind of the hack uh, to go to for you know a Transformers sequel uh, and I haven't seen any of those Transformers sequels I'm sure they're terrible so but what did you think of Arlington Road Deniston? I liked it uh, probably quite a bit less this time around. Now I don't don't think I saw this one in theaters. Um, probably caught up with it on video, but I seem to remember it like building. It appeared to me at the time like it was going to build up to be this uh, big sort of cult classic that people would catch on with later. Because as I've mentioned previously on the podcast, I worked at a video store during uh, during this time period and i remember this being a very popular pick and it was a popular film for people to like i guess press upon people like oh you've not seen arlington road like well you've got to watch it you can't we can't talk about anything kind of like how you set up this podcast can't talk about anything until you've seen it because you have to like i guess work back from the ending and that seemed to be what most people were excited about was the the twist uh which you know we're gonna see with another another film that was far more successful in 1999 towards the end of the summer that uh, played on the, the twist aspect. Um, but I don't, I don't have a ton of history with this one. I remember watching it, enjoying it, uh, liking the ending and liking the performances from Tim Robbins and Jeff Bridges, Joan Cusack as well. Um, but I, I had never gone back to rewatch it. So this was sort of a, a time capsule movie for me. Um, and when I popped it in, I was like, well, isn't that strange? I have not not decided to go back to this one. Uh, but it was a little muted this time around. My uh, And I don't know if that's knowing the twist. I still like the performances, but I really, uh, and I'm, we're not going to pick on the screenplay here, but the uh, direction here by Mark Pellington, the, the style of it, uh, I had a hard time getting into it in the first, like, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes of the film. There are some interesting choices that stick out. Uh, and Mark Pellington, I think he's an interesting director because after this, he does a movie that is somewhat similar, uh, The Mothman Prophecies. I love that in, movie. Love yeah. that movie. And it's similar in that it's about, you know, one guy 
against the world trying to go on this, you know, quest where, where, where he comes off as crazy to a lot of other people. And, and, you know, they both deal, they both deal with impending disasters, you know? And so, uh, they're very similar movies and I, and I'm kind of disappointed that he didn't go on to do much either. A lot of his independent work from the last like five or 10 years has gotten mixed to negative reviews. I don't think I've seen any of it looking over his credits. Neither, you know, I, I saw 10 minutes of the last word and it just didn't pass. It didn't pass my 15 minute test uh, for me. Uh, and and I, I heard really bad things about uh, a movie called I Melt With You, which I believe mm-hmm. is him as well. And yeah, there are some interesting choices in the movie, places where the movie starts to stylistically uh, represent Bridges' Bridges mental state. Uh, And in a a not so subtle way. And the the funny thing was was hearing Pellington on the audio commentary kind of criticize himself for for Mm. some of these choices and and say that and, and, you know, say that that a lot of it was a lack of time and that they, they he couldn't really get get a lot of the coverage he wants and everything but you know so yeah you're muted on it i i had rewatched this relatively recently uh about 2 years ago or so and uh and i i found it quite enjoyable then and and i i, I it wasn't a hard rewatch uh th- this time either uh even though coming so so quickly uh, uh you, know, you know together um I, I, I still find this very entertaining and I, I wish there were more, I wish there were more movies like this. I think the, the Netflix movie model, the Amazon original content model or whatever would seem to be very geared towards these type of films. And yet I never, I never find anything that, that has quite as uh, absorbing uh, a premise as this does. Well, and I mean, I'm not a uh, an expert of the uh, the Netflix original movie series you know, catalog, but the ones I do hear about when they're not uh, desperately trying to get into the Oscar race seems to be their romantic comedies. Seem to be the ones that I just you know just on accident uh, will stumble across people online talking about. So you had uh, well, always be my maybe. Um, which came out a couple months ago. Classic, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I guess what I'm getting at as far as like, if I'm only hearing about the rom-coms, you know, either I'm just following the wrong people or when people watch a film, like an independent film, that you would think like, okay, why don't they make more Arlington Roads? Uh, it seems like for two hours, they want something uh, pleasant, uh, quotable, uh, that they can consume almost like with plenty of gifs that they can retweet and share out of it. Uh, I was watching this now and I was thinking, wow, um, you know, maybe maybe television has just taken over uh, material like Arlington Road because I was reminded uh, quite a bit of uh, Homeland, uh, the Showtime Mm -hmm. series. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, like, okay, this is like a great season one. Unfortunately, like uh, most television I like, uh, they would just drag it out too long. Like you would get to this get to this twist, maybe. uh, But then they would if it was popular enough. Uh, they would have to figure out a, a season two and then, you know, it loses something there. So um, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe the, like with Chernobyl for HBO, maybe like, you know, the art of the miniseries will return. But you're right. Uh, this seems like 
a fun character study. It's definitely like it, you know, owes a lot to those seventies, like, mm-hmm. uh, paranoid thrillers. Um, but you don't see it that much. And so I was, I was coming in cause most of the time, uh, at least on previous podcasts, maybe not this one, you and I've gone around and around a little bit where I've, uh, talked about how shitty television is, uh, and you've kind of defended the medium a little bit more, but I thought this was one where, um, this would probably have made a really great, you know, HBO miniseries. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, so we've kind of danced around it and I guess we can kind of go into full on spoiler territory, but before we do, I mean, just to sum it up, I would really recommend that people check this out, especially if, especially if they're, if, if they're hesitant about whether or not it's something for them. I think it's one of those movies that plays really well for people who aren't the normal fans of this genre, if that makes sense. I think a lot of people uh, can easily see themselves in, in Bridget's position here uh, in terms of being you know, uh, caught between a lot of, uh, very big, uh, emotions and conflicted about, you know, things and all that. And so, yeah, but before we get to spoilers, just on that, because this is, it's not, uh, not at least the spoiler as far as how the, the third act goes, but, uh, I had actually forgotten that he was so, um, anti-government in parts of the film like uh there you know there's an event that happens in his life uh and even having seen this before i you know i guess i just sort of went the clearer route uh where he's the you know the the white hat he's the good guy that knows what's going on but you know he can't he can't relay this to the world you know this impending doom uh but i had forgotten that when he's uh was teaching his class that you know there's there's one um lecture he gives uh at an actual site where something very bad happened and he talks about all the mistakes that were made. Uh, and I'd forgotten that, you know, this is not just, um, you know, I remember one of the taglines was, I think, fear thy neighbor. Uh, this is not just the, the guy who's doing the ultimate version of like neighborhood watch. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not, he's not seeing the boogeyman everywhere he goes. He's seeing a lot of blame, uh, all over the world from, from the, the people who are supposed to protect us as well. And I'd, I'd forgotten that. And that's, probably something that i think uh i could see another version of this where they would have wanted that cleared up in some way and maybe him not play it as unhinged as he does at times because if you know you if you just dropped in on this movie say on like uh cable television uh and didn't know anything about it you might actually think that the thriller aspect of this is that bridges is like <laughs> kind of shoot up his neighbors or something that he's he's a guy that uh you don't want your own kids around so i uh i really like that about uh, bridges performance and the direction that they sort of allowed to go to go in the middle of the film okay so uh ben full- wants to get to the ending he wants to he wants to blow everything up <laughs> full-on spoiler alert for arlington road uh, and you know what's funny about this we're we're being so incredibly careful uh i went back and looked at the trailer and they literally show you the like the spoiler image uh, of of the ending that mm. the you know that the whole time the plan has been to have him uh, infiltrate you know the the FBI building uh, and have him I, I forget what the word for that is like a Manchurian candidate or something or, mm-hmm. or like is that is that correct a sleeper uh... cell or something. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a twisted version of it, right? I mean, there's no uh, deck of playing cards to <laughs> to control him. It's just this, sort of his own neighborhood obsessions, I guess that that uh, control his mind. He loses himself for sure, thinking he's doing he's doing the right thing here. And then it turns, um, and then it turns out that he's the one who brings the bomb into the FBI building, and it, you know enables these radical people to uh to to achieve their plan without really and then and then he becomes the one person blamed for it and and it's an interesting premise uh you know for a movie it's definitely steeped in conspiracy theory culture you know and i think that's one of the reasons uh that the movie has had some staying power uh i see it brought up you know more often than i would think uh <laughs> and part of that are, are part of that are you know is these scenes that he has as a as a professor as a teacher at George Washington University where he's going over the these domestic terrorist situations and they're all veiled portraits of real things that happened in in the 90s and so i don't want to diminish the threat of domestic terrorism today but when you really look back on it, the 90s was an extremely scary time in, in that regard. Because in, in the span of five years, you've got Ruby Ridge, you've got Waco, you've got the Oklahoma City bombing, and several other things. that, that There's actually, so I, I read the script, the Aaron Kruger's script, and there's a number of things that were cut out from the final movie and in, in the commentary, they make reference to it, uh, which is kind of frustrating because he, he, they keep saying how they're going to put it on the DVD, and then they never did. Uh, yeah. But so there's, <laughs> a, there's a final lecture where he actually talks about the, the World Trade Center bombing in 1993, uh, the, the, the one that was, you know, uh, you know the, the one that was in the earlier 90s, not 9-11, obviously. But I found that very interesting and in just, you know, how, like, you, like as, as prophetic and, you know, uh, interesting as this movie is, uh, I, I wonder if that scene had remained in, if, if you know, that would have been, uh, made it even more prophetic. Uh, hmm. So, See, I kept thinking that it was, it seemed incredibly dated coming right before 9-11 like the uh you know it's unfortunately i guess coming back around um where there's there's such a divide in the country and a a fear of the the alt-right uh but it's it's far more i don't know every, everything is far more open now as far as that goes with uh with the the possible right-wing militia groups or or something of that matter um so i i felt like this you know coming out in 1999 was the sort of the last gasp of this for a long stretch and there's there is a pretty distinct cut um in the the tone of of films and going to the movies uh 9-11 post 9-11 um so in that way I, I you know i said at the top of this it was sort of a strange time capsule and i i felt it uh then as well um i don't know like i I wondered if that was part of the because uh, I, I I forgot like if this did well because I, as I said my my read of it was that it was sort of a video hit uh, but I I thought it was one that actually got far better reviews than what it did and then when I looked it up at you know a, a lot of the top critics like you know including 
Ebert. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, they, you know, they this seemed to kind of call it, I mean, for <laughs> dumb was basically, you know, they just thought it was, uh, well, Ebert's line is that it's implausible. This climax this, is so this, implausible. So, you know, this is a rare case where me and Ebert disagree on an, on an adult thriller. Uh, like normally I, th- I think he's pretty spot on. Uh, but, but, but I, I, I disagree entirely. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, you know, we, we have these, uh, we have these, uh, things that, that happen, uh, where, and they all, they, and they do, uh, you know, always get there. There is always an immediate desire to have a simple solution to. That's a really great scene in the movie. That, that mm-hmm. particular lecture is, is a really good scene. <laughs> that is a great, yeah, that's a great scene. And, and to me, it's like, it's so incredibly, uh, okay. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that you, there are, there are holes in it for sure, but the movie is so briskly paced so quick that you really don't have time to, to think about them. And, uh, you know, just in terms of the confines of the movie, you know, it makes, it makes total sense how Bridges ends up, uh, where, where he's at. Uh, you know, like all, all that makes perfect sense to me. And yeah, you can, you know, you can go back and you can say, oh, Joan Cusack happens to be at the same exact location mm-hmm. as Hope Davis in, you know, uh, before, in the, like the end of the second act of this movie. But, but, you know, Joan Cusack is so good that she really makes it work. Uh, I, think, I think a lot of other actors would have played up the creepiness of her character, but she really plays it very straight. Uh, as a very cheerful, uh, nice neighbor. And she does that. See, in that way, yeah. I feel that Joan Cusack is kind of always creepy, just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> and I really like her. Like, uh, gross point blank. I love her in that as like this, uh, you know, she's, she's the one that keeps this assassin's office running. And she's just so, so, so cheery and also so cutthroat. So on top of things, so professional. Uh, but, you know, still kind of some kind of a creep, just a little bit, Ben. And it, well, and you see it earlier in the movie too, when when she comes upon Bridges looking at the 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 portrait uh, the, of of the of the architectural uh, uh, um, blueprints of the of the of the building, you know, she she just comes off so incredibly nice and cheery, and and in that way, she's more she's yeah she's just she's creepier than she would have been had she been you know menacing and villainous. I like Hope Davis a lot here mm-hmm. as uh, I don't want to call her the other woman, but uh, there, there's also a great scene um, at the dinner table. And, you know, some of the, uh, you know, if you want to get into, I guess, what the critics were calling impossible was, you know, there's a lot happening before we even uh, meet our characters. You, you have to assume that um, Bridges, Michael Faraday has been targeted in some way, right? Like, at least that's my read on it. It's I, I don't buy necessarily that's pure happenstance mm-hmm. uh, that they have been trying to figure out a way to meet him. And uh, it, I mean, it would be far creepier if you think that they sent their child out uh-huh. in the opening scene to blow himself up <laughs> to, to give them an in uh, to garner some sympathy from their neighbor. Uh, but there's there's a really, you know, I mean, it's just it's a tough scene where you have Bridges uh, starting to reveal, you know, all, all of the conflicted feelings he has uh just about his life in the world uh because of the loss of his wife who was an fbi agent and uh, like it was fun watching this with my wife because <laughs> she was always she didn't know anything about it and i sort of kept at that i just said hey i'm gonna throw in this movie 
Arlington Road. Have you seen it? No. Okay, so I'll just you know just play it for it. That's the perfect Ben Zook way. No trailers, no premise, nothing. Just putting this on. And uh, she was all over Tim Robbins. And I don't know if she just has a, a dislike for Tim Robbins in general, but she's like, she kept asking, what is with his face? Why does he keep making that face? <laughs> <laughs> so she, she thought he was a creep from the word, word go. Um, but I really like, like watching and then watching that scene with her, uh, when, you know, after dinner where Bridges is, I think most actors would play it like he's sort of pouring his heart out, but there's, there's such bitterness and such cynicism in what he's saying that it's, you know, it's not a moment to garner just like pure sympathy because as I said, he's sort of a, he's sort of a cagey guy and there's something, there's like a dangerous element to him, which of course makes him like the perfect mark for this, for them trying to set up this uh, crazed guy who's, you know, the, the story will go that he's plotted revenge against the FBI because of his wife's death. It's a litmus. He's doing a litmus test on mm. uh, Bridges character. He wants to see if he's sympathetic to, uh, you know, to their cause uh, and everything. And so it's, a, it's a real, like, like the whole movie, uh, you know, to me play, it plays so well because you're getting these interesting little details about them. And the, the veiled portrait of Ruby Ridge here where you have his wife uh, told in flashback, you know, getting caught up in this, sea, this you know, siege on a house, you know, for no good reason, and that she ends up dying that way and everything. That, is a, that, is a, that was a very interesting direction for them to go. And the, the lines of these things weren't as clearly drawn uh, as they are today. There, there were a lot of, a lot of people on the left who heavily criticized the government for their actions in Waco and in Ruby Ridge uh, in the 90s. And today we kind of, you know, today we're, we're all kind of in camps and everything and people don't really like to discuss nuance of, of these things and all that. Uh, but but they're, they're really doing a very good job of presenting a, like a sympathetic, uh, you know, uh, uh, character here. And you're... Uh... And your life is uh, among you know friends or other uh, cinephiles. You, do you think this one has had um, a sort of staying power, or has it kind of been lost in the shuffle as some of the other films we've covered on this podcast? Not that I know of, and so I guess I would have to lean on lost in the shuffle. But I do, I do hear it brought up every now and then in in connection to you know conspiracy minded uh, uh, things. And and so and it very ironically, very much like Eyes Wide Shut is brought up, which, which we'll mm. be talking about on uh, the next episode, correct? Or the episode after that? Yeah, that um, would be uh, if I had it in front of me. That would be a great uh, lead-in to <laughs> you know the next episode. But now I'm afraid uh, we have uh, the dinner game. Yes, the next one. In the middle. And I think we probably could just skip trivia for that because uh, <laughs> I watched this one already and I've forgotten the name 10 times. Like, I'm like, is it dinner party? What was it? The dinner? <laughs> um, so I really doubt that people are going to get this uh, unless we reference the uh, the American remake uh, that was made, I don't know, almost a decade or more later. Well, so we're not done with Arlington Road. We, you Are we know, not? We said, no, Jeez. no, come on. We already <laughs> blew everything up. We, <laughs> no. we praised the performances. Uh, you, you admitted that uh, no one really talks well, about this anymore. Okay, but you, you said it. You said it played as kind of muted for you. It, like in which parts? In which parts? I didn't like the, uh, and I know that uh, Pellington comes from a video, a music video background. Um, 
and I, I hated the introduction of the the child uh, with the 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 arm that's that he's he's blown up uh, with playing with fireworks, uh, um, you know, because it, it just takes forever. You know, it's we're minutes in. It's like a like a true like almost like credit sequence. And uh, I, just, there was just a lot of imagery here that I'm, I was just thinking like, wow, I bet that read just that actually just read better on the page, just read creepier. Um, you know, a little boy just walking down stumbling down the middle of the this neighborhood the, in the suburbs uh just with his like arm sort of dangling aside just you know bleeding just covered in blood um and you know you you mentioned i guess from the commentary that a lot of it's from bridges perspective but it's like i mean the movie is so crazed from that the jump like even when <laughs> even when bridges is taking this wounded child to the hospital i mean they they film it like it's a, a car chase uh like at the very end when he's you know chasing what he presumes to be the van with the, the bomb and he gets to the hospital and he's like making these weird weird motions with his tongue like stuck in his mouth and it's like he can barely speak to an adult person and <laughs> i was just like i mean not to be coarse about it but i'm like well it's not your son like you know can you just can you just speak as as the adult in the room being like i don't know he's had an accident you know it's a neighborhood kid uh but it's like you know he's he's unhinged already and um it's very so a, this is very very funny uh because the sequence well very you're very cool funny man, what you're saying cool it's very man. very funny what you're saying and I should probably stop listening to the special features on these movies because I feel like it's, it's leading us into, like, obviously people could just listen to this audio commentary on their own. They don't have to hear from me what, uh, you know, but it's very funny that you're saying all this because apparently Bridges was, uh, had like strep throat or something when they mm. first uh, shot that scene. And I guess they reshot it, but they ended up using the, the footage with him with like strep throat because, because it just played better. And and I like I like that scene. I like that opening. It certainly opens up a lot of questions plot wise once you know the ending. Like did yeah, yeah, did Robbins and, and Cusack did they uh blow up their own child's hand <laughs> in order to uh trap this guy, ensnare this guy into this thing? And you know, uh, yeah, that could that is that is it's somewhat creepy to theorize that they did. But at the same time, it, it's it, it make it, that I would say that's a that's more outlandish than what we see in the end here. And well, they know their kid, right? They know he's a chip off old, the old block. He's gonna eventually <laughs> he's gonna experiment but, and blow himself up, and that'll the be their uh, entry point. But the thing being underlined there is that you know the most important thing about that sequence is he has no idea who his neighbor is, and now. Today, I would say people probably wouldn't see that as odd because I don't. I, I mean, I think in general people do not know their neighbors today at all. But you know, from what I remember growing up in the '90s, you know, we did know some of our neighbors. There was like an active. You know, it was like an expected thing that you would try to get to know your neighbors. At, you know, somewhat. And I feel like the 90s was the transition uh, away from that to, to where we are today, where you would probably you probably actively go out of your way to not know what's happening, you know, in the in the in the doors, uh, uh, you know, on the on the street that you that you live on. Well, watch this movie. I mean, if he if he had just stuck <laughs> well, to yeah. the modern trappings, then uh, he can't really be ensnared in their plot because he's indifferent. Totally. I don't care what you're doing. Don't just don't involve me. Don't don't bring me into this. 
So, okay, we're blaming movies, uh, I guess, and TV for, for, you know, the lack of community, uh, you, you know, that we have, that we have uh, today. Uh, but what else? What else didn't you like? Uh, I, you know, I, I actually just would rather have spent more time, um, I guess, with the, with the, uh, the, the grooming process. You know, that, that's the other thing that, uh, and you said it, and Bridges has a little speech, I, I think, to Hope Davis, where he was saying that he was being tested, uh, where they're they're seeing if he's a friend or enemy uh, based on his, I guess, uh, political responses. Um, but that was the other thing. I was like, <laughs> does their plan fall through? Like, what if they stumble across the guy who's like, I'm in, baby. I'm all in. I hate the FBI. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do the, You know, what's, do they still use him as a patsy? Like there were a lot of, there were some like interesting, I guess. Well, rocks well wait, me I mean, okay, over. wait a second from a real world example, you know, and, and I know a lot of people aren't going to necessarily agree with what I'm about to say. Oh God, and that's fine. Try to get us out on the, on the dog humor and well, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. Don't you think that Lee Harvey Oswald is, and you know, could serve as an example of exactly what happened, you know, in this movie. Uh, you know, it is like, like the things that we've confirmed about Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, he, he sounds quite a bit like this character that Jeff Bridges plays that, you know, he had a lot of anti-government feelings that he was anti-Castro that he did, um, defect he did like he, he renounced his citizenship and went to the ussr and then came back you know like like so you know i'm just gonna like all i'm gonna say is that i am you know I'm, i i think you're right i think if he had been an all-in he would he would have still been a patsy and he still would have been surprised by it i think maybe i'm just looking for a little more humor in this movie because <laughs> <laughs> i'm not, looking for the you know, <laughs> I mean, it's they start with the funny. kid being blown Domestic up. Domestic terrorism isn't that funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be you know, on the right hands. Uh, you know, if if the the kid was forced into blowing himself up to take one for the for the team, uh, you know, if <laughs> if Bridges uh, is is coming out of that uh, on that dinner table saying like, you know what, you have good points, Miss Robbins. Uh, tell me more. I'm interested in joining your your club. Uh, you know, there there could be a very humorous sequence there where Robbins is like, God damn it. Like, you know, <laughs> we wanted to push him, but not that far. And now, now he's got like a guest who won't leave, a guy that's like all in on, on his hobby. So, I don't know. I mean, there's a little dark humor there, I guess. And I, I think some of the sequences are. I, I think they are so broad that they do come across as darkly comic. Oh, like, well, know, I think that's intentional. I think I think the 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 block party near the end yes, is yeah. I think it's very intentional and I I love that scene. My favorite line in this movie is Tim Robbins saying, "Well, we're having a party and you're more than welcome to stay." Like it's just so incredible. I remember that being a trailer moment as well. It's so like, it's so amazing. It's so, that yeah. that 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 that's the moment that wins me over. Like anything else that happens in the rest of the movie is, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's, that's all I've got, Ben. I, you know, I, I gave this a favorable review on the Letterboxd account. I just, you know, it, it just, uh, this was a, one I was actually looking forward to revisiting just cause it was, I had forgotten so much of it, but, uh, I don't know. It just, I, I thought it would be higher up. I thought it, I thought it would overtake pushing 10, but it did not pushing 10 still above this. I think, I think you were hyping it up too much for yourself. It, it could be, you know, it's my, <laughs> my accusation. Sure. Poor Aaron Kruger, the one like really great script he's ever had. Um, and I've had friends tell me they like the Skeleton Key 
but when I finally got around to it, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of disappointed in it. Uh, so how dare you? <laughs> I, I remember there's a, a gratuitous, a extremely gratuitous ass shot of Kate Hudson that they like clearly some who, I don't know which company released that. Uh, but you know, it's for the most part, a very like above board, uh, stays right in its lane, uh, tone about this, this woman who, um, you know, in certain ways, I guess is being, you know, the, the modern phrase would be like gaslighting, uh, I guess. And it's, it's sort of old fashioned, like haunted house type thing. It seems like, uh, but I do, I, upon rewatch years ago for a podcast, uh, I'd forgotten that they, they much like Arlington road, I guess, needing some trailer moments that there was uh one butt shot for Kate Hudson that really sticks out. And, uh, I'm betting Ben that just my mentioning of that will have more people that listen to this checking out skeleton key than uh, Arlington road. What do you think? Well, that's sad. That's really, that's, these are not the ways you should choose, you know, your movie going habits, uh, you know, here. Um, but I guess that's where we've done, a, we've done okay. Uh, you know, so, okay, here's a little bit of interesting trivia that I don't think anyone knows uh, because it was there. So, so they make mention on the audio commentary of a deleted scene where Jeff Bridges gets attacked by a dog somewhat comedically and uh and they talk about cutting it and the director says that you know it was a, it was a fine scene that and he mentions that Felicity did a good job in it and and I'm assuming he means Felicity Huffman because she would have been the right age to play that role and she's the only famous Felicity I can think of from the late 90s. So I th- I believe Felicity Huffman had a deleted role in this movie. Hmm. So I mean unless go. he was uh was he confusing uh Carrie Russell? The... Yeah, Carrie <laughs> Russell. That would be that would be great if it was actually <laughs> Carrie Russell. <laughs> uh I don't think it was no, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I give Mark Pellington more credit than that that he knows his actors' first names. You know, he doesn't confuse them with popular uh TV characters that they've played. <laughs> <laughs> I choose to believe the latter, sir, like, uh, like, Mr. Pellington. Like he doesn't go, hey, you, uh, you know, Griffin, uh, <laughs> Griffin, what's his name? <laughs> and if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99